Welcome to The Politics Guys. Place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Trey Orndorf, a political scientist at Daytona State College. With me today is my regular co-host, Cleveland area attorney and Republican Jay Carson. Welcome, listeners, to this St. Patty's Day edition of the Politics Guys. If you liked or hated my new take on the intro, be sure to let us know on social media. As always, you can find us at, at Politics Guys for Twitter or Politics Guys on Facebook. This week has been a busy one for the White House, hasn't it, Jay? It sure has. Uh, a busy day. Well, I, I, I don't know if, if, it's, if you call it busy. It's, uh, everyone's, everyone's leaving. <laughs> <laughs> it's packing day, maybe. Uh, not, not ju- and it's not just like, yeah, I mean, a lot of, there's a lot of absenteeism uh, on the first two days of March Madness, but this has nothing to do with that, most likely. <laughs> no, although we could talk about Markham's Imaginist upsets as well. But instead, <laughs> instead, let's give a quick rundown of the week. Um, in the White House, because, you know, even myself, who who tries to keep up with this, uh, I needed a timeline to make sense of this, listeners. So um, for better or for worse, the Trump White House has been marked by a high level of turnover. Uh, and this week has brought a fresh batch of news on the turnover front. And the one that we thought was going to be the biggest for the week um, was Secretary of State Rex Tillerson leaving, um, or shouldn't be saying, uh, shown the door. And it also would appear that H.R. McMaster is immediately on the way out. But as we were finalizing the show, it would appear that Andrew McCabe is out after allegedly misleading internal investigations uh, at the Justice Department. Uh, McCabe has argued that his firing is part of a larger effort to discredit the FBI and the special counsel's investigation. And in response to McCabe, Trump took to his favorite platform, Twitter, and tweeted late last night, quote, Andrew McCage fired. Yes, that's right. All caps. Because <laughs> you got to have the caps. Um, right. A great day for the hardworking men and women of the FBI. Um, but just to put the rest of this in context, uh, McMaster, it, it, he was reported. I, I, I was going to say before we do it, before we should we should specify that McCabe, uh, that's a that's a situation that's a little different than the Trump cabinet. Uh, departures. Yes. Uh, McCabe's comes in in the wake of a, an IG inspector, Justice Department inspector general, who's sort of the internal watchdog uh, for the Justice Department, is a nonpartisan uh, person appointee who who lasts you know beyond administrations. Um, uh, and it was a, a report that he had put together uh, following an investigation regarding uh, McCabe and his contacts with the media and then his, his candor or, or lack thereof with the IG. So that's a little bit of a separate category. And then it's not a, uh, either a Trump firing or a, um, um, uh, sort of Trump sort of pushing someone out the door. Um, this is, this is something separate. Now the, 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 the scuttlebutt had been that, uh, McCabe who would have been eligible to retire, I think tomorrow. Yes. Yes. Uh, Full pension that there were there had been sort of negotiations on to, is there a way to to do this gracefully uh, where maybe he still gets to to retire and and I don't know uh, we don't know because again the story just broke um, literally like like you know moments five ago. minutes before we were <laughs> going to 
which is really weird for us because uh, we're not like a breaking news kind of show. We our our uh, thing is usually we have we have time to sit back and think about it for a while. Um, so it, it's unclear what the status of the pension stuff is going to be. But I just wanted to point out that that well, and this as, is sort of, and this as we were talking about separate, separate and apart turmoil from from what's going on in the West Wing. And as we were talking about uh, off air, you know, the the report that does this is not even public yet. So it's not as if we can put our eyeballs on this. And so say, we'll know more next week. Yes. Yes, for sure. So, you know, what's interesting here is, you know, we thought the big story was going to be, you know, Rex Tillerson. I mean, we're losing the secretary of state. And that was really the big um, the big news this week, because John Kelly apparently uh, calls him and tells him to return to Washington on March 10 because he's going to be fired. And then Trump announces in, in his intention to replace Tillerson uh, with CIA director uh, Mike Pompili- Pompeo. Oh, my goodness gracious. Pompeo. Thank you, Pompeo. I can't speak today. Um, there were a couple of other outs this week as well, kind of more minor, but it's interesting kind of in the context of a lot of ins and outs as we're talking about at, well, mainly outs at the White House. Um, McEntee was out as personal assistant to the president because he loses his security clearance as a result of an investigation into his personal finances. Uh, fascinatingly enough, though, as soon as he's out at the White House, the Trump reelection team will immediately hire him as a senior advisor. That's fascinating. Sure. Um, the outsters this week are part of a larger set of news. Gary Cohn last week, uh, the director of the National Economic Council, left when Trump decides to go ahead with his tariffs on steel and aluminum. And of course, just prior to that on March uh, and February 28th, Hope Hicks was out uh, as communications director only 196 days after taking the job and after three prior communication directors uh, because of both potentially her comments about lying for Trump and her obviously connection with her boyfriend, Rob Porter, uh, who is accused by his ex-wives of domestic abuse. So I am I am tired just running through that timeline. So, Jay, is there any silver linings in all of this for Republicans? Um, well, the one silver lining that this is something you didn't mention, but again, supposedly, and and again, we hate to report on rumors because as Mike and I sometimes say, we don't we don't you really hang out in the West Wing um, as often as you might expect. Or would uh, like, but by the way, if, if you <laughs> yeah. want to let us in, I mean, if anybody's yeah. listening right now, we would happily, you know, take an uh, invitation. But but this this comes, I think, from from pretty credible news uh, reporting sources is that that. Um, uh, General Kelly uh, is is staying on. There was there was some concern. Concern. I was concerned um, yeah. <laughs> that, that uh, Kelly might be sort of the next to go uh, over over friction. But they have uh, both Trump and Kelly have released statements saying that they've met and uh, all is good between them. So the you know the big concern for a lot of Republicans, uh, let's say non non Trump Republicans. Uh, was just the the number of grownups uh, around, so to speak, in in the west in the West Wing, and uh, Gary Cohn leaving. That was uh, a concern of there goes there goes one of the grownups. Um, uh, same with um, uh, Tillerson. Now, the replacements for the most part, I, I think, have been been greeted with with a pretty warm reception um, from most conservatives. Uh, Mike Pompeo again is somebody who who knows his stuff. He is perhaps a closer political ally to Trump than what Tillerson was, and he also has more political experience than what Tillerson did. And I think that's 
that's uh, kind of important. There's always there's always this idea of, of wouldn't it be great if we could run government like a business and let's get businessmen into government. Um, and uh, well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> often I think I think you need to run government like a government, uh, which is something different. So uh, for the most part, you know, Pompeo's um, nomination uh, to sec- to be secretary of state was was cheered by most Republicans. Uh, and they don't see it in being a, a tremendous difference uh, uh, from what uh, the Tillerson, Tillerson administration was. Uh, he's Pompeo is certainly maybe a little more hawkish. Um, but uh, again, I think I think most people are OK with that. On the economic front, that was actually, I think, a bigger concern is that Trump would appoint someone who is a protectionist. Um, mm-hmm. Like uh, his, his other advisor, uh, Navarro, um, uh, or the other sort of – or uh, um, uh, the uh, oh my gosh, I'm 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 blanking. We do this show too early in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wilbur Ross, uh, yes, uh, who who was sort of the author of the tariffs. There was there was substantial concern among the the financial sectors that that if that sort of movement uh, occurred and there was a message that uh, Trump is going all in on the uh, tariffs protectionism, uh, that could that could really uh, be problematic. Uh, but he picked uh, Larry Kudlow um, as seen on TV. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you have to you have to sort of realize that I mean probably I don't know is Trump's reason for picking Kudlow like hey he's seen him on TV. Um, but that said, I, I, I the the fact that uh, Kudlow has appeared on TV for a long time, um, I, I don't think that should detract from from what his other credentials are. Uh, he he was an economic advisor in the Reagan administration. Uh, he was an economic uh, advisor, writer, editor for National Review uh, for years. Uh, he is a you know frequent contributor uh, to a lot of financial publications. So he's he's got the actual you know uh, has, policy chops. Yeah, uh, and and is for the most part, um, I'd, I'd say probably traditional uh, Republican free trader type. Uh, uh, you know, low taxes. Um, uh, you know, low trade barrier kind of guy. So I think that that reassured a lot of Wall Street. Um, well, with that said, turnover is turnover, and is is always sort of. Well, and and for, and you know, and the point from the left has been, and and I think they're they're you know, oftentimes you know, you, you try to decide how much how much of this is true or not. But so for Rex Tillerson, for example, you know, you talk about we're we're going to get another grown up in there, but one of the the fascinating timelines here is that Rex Tillerson starts talking about Russia um, and retaliation, and suddenly he's out. And you know, ditto here. The the picture of a president who is making his decisions based on his TV viewing habits, as opposed to maybe because again, I mean, he I I'm happy with our with the change there theoretically and ideologically, but we're still having tariffs go down. How how is that going to work out long term? Um and so what do you think about that, you know, that kind of critique from the left which is really we're just seeing churn anytime we have someone who offers anything that could even be conceivably um disloyal in that sense to the president. Yeah, well a couple, a couple of things to think. First of all, the the Tillerson there's a little bit of irony in in suggesting that Tillerson was getting fired for being too soft for Russia, uh, too soft on Russia, or or too hard on Russia. I'm too sorry. hard on this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in in that the, the the criticism from the left when he was uh, appointed was that he was Putin's best friend, 
uh, right? He got the, you know, whatever award from, <laughs> from Putin. Uh, right. Uh, Exxon had done, you know, extensive work uh, in Russia. And, you know, at some point that was, uh, here we go, there's proof of the collusion, proof of the conspiracy. Um, and now, well, he's he's uh, being too tough on the Russians. So I, I don't think there's anything that really, my sense is um, that, uh, you know, Trump and, and uh, Tillerson were just sort of moving in, in uh, some different directions. I think uh, Tillerson had been whipsawed a number of times uh, by Trump, uh, where he is you know, off making some official statement on behalf of the United States government, and then Trump tweets otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, this hasn't come out, but my sense is that, or I shouldn't say it hasn't come out, it hasn't been mentioned as reason, so this is speculation on, on my part, but uh, I'd have to imagine the abrupt decision to start negotiations with North Korea um, came as sort of a surprise to Tillerson. Uh, and and uh, again, it was a reversal of, of what American policy had been uh, for years and years. And, and from all the reporting was done without consultation. Um, so I, I, I can I can very much see if, if you're Rex Tillerson, I mean, you may say, I'm, you know, look, I don't need this. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I get that, and and likewise Trump uh, demands lawyer. So, but but the replacements, um, it's it's sort of funny because they, in some ways, they are more uh, traditional mainstream, uh, uh, you know, conservative picks that you would have seen in in probably any uh, administration. Um, but and will I think they? I mean, this but are is they going to last? Maybe, well, I mean, who knows? Uh, um, but. Uh, <laughs> You start, you start running. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I guess which is maybe a little heartening is, you know, when Trump took office and he was he was staffing a lot of these these positions. You know, anytime you are the insurgent, the the new guy, you you sort of come in with with the B team. You know what I mean? Um, you've got sort of you know your your uh, Carter Pages who are your you know you know res- foreign policy advisors and it's it sort of you know you attract all these guys who are just sort of hangers on and again maybe not the sharpest tools or you're you're picking people who are so completely out of the system that they're 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 brand new. Um, this seems to be a reversion kind of to what you would get in like a a more normal cabinet. Um, so uh, you know we'll wait and see now whether whether they last or not I you know that's that's who knows but. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think I think all said and done, look, uh, chaos is bad, uh, but sometimes uh, chaos is necessary if you end up with a better product. Um, so I'm 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 OK uh, with uh, Larry Kudlow. I'm OK with uh, Mike Pompeo. Uh, I think they will both both do uh, do good jobs. And, and uh, General Kelly is still in charge for the time being. Um, so I guess I guess we can take I, you know, you could take solace in that. I mean, so I can, I can, I can hear that. I mean, as a as a scholar of the presidency, this kind of churn, in my opinion, marks a deeper un- underlying issue. Uh, so I mean, I mean, again, I I understand. I think you're right. I mean, the silver lining is is at least you have individuals coming into the system who are maybe a, a better or a deeper bench. Uh, but I, I wonder how well the structure of the White House would work, regardless of which specific individuals are holding these positions, when you, when you can't find any sense of stability and what that says about the White House in general. But I know we're going to probably have a, have a bit of a disagreement on that. <laughs> um, 
But the White House is not, uh, we have more we had to talk about on that front, because the other ongoing story uh, has been Stormy Daniels. And who would have thought that here on the Politics Guys, we may be talking about a porn star, but here we go. Um, and this is kind of fascinating because it has really changed, or I should say not changed, but it has been a outlier in the White House's approach to crisis management. So here's yeah. kind of the basic outline. Um, earlier this year, the Wall Street Journal reported that Trump's lawyer, uh, Michael Cohen, paid Daniels $130,000 um, days before the 2016 election. Now, what was interesting is Cohen did not deny it. In fact, he admits to it, but he says that he did it himself out of his own pocket through an LLC and that he was not reimbursed by Trump or any part of the Trump campaign. Well, then this week on Wednesday, the Wall Street Journal reports that they that they have documents that appear to tie the efforts to silence Daniels to the Trump organization. And part of that connection is that a Trump organization lawyer was a representative for the LLC that paid off Daniels. At the same time, Daniels has hired her own lawyers and is suing Trump in a bid to nullify her non-disclosure agreement. And there's some really fascinating articles about kind of the brilliance of that move online, if you're interested in more about that, um, and to allow her to then talk about the alleged affair. Then yesterday, uh, right before we were getting ready to do the show, Daniels' lawyer goes on TV and says that some of the accusations uh, that are occurring with Trump actually occurred while he was president, including, quote, physically threatening her to stay silent, end quote. He has declined to provide further details. Um, as Politico has reported, Jay, Trump is playing I'm in a the, unique in the background, strategy. I'm, I'm in the background, I'm, this is uh, uh -oh. stormy weather by the Pixies. Uh, I just really wanted to, really wanted an excuse to do that. <laughs> so... But go ahead. Is that coming through on your end? I hope. Yes, so. I can. I mean, we will need to. <laughs> I had not even thought about that. That would be that's a that's a great a great go. Um, and so anyway, we can do this like wacky stuff when Mike isn't. This is true. When Mike is away, the other co-hosts will play um, while they talk about a porn star. Yep. Um, <laughs> Anyway, the Politico has reported that Trump is, has a unique strategy, and I agree with Politico. Um, he is doing something crazy. He is remaining silent on the issue. Uh, and unlike with all of his other accusers where he has tweeted and argued and defamed them, um, he has said nothing. People close to the president's worried he's not going to be able to stay quiet forever since he is now getting sued, and that's just not in his personality. But so far, nothing. So what do you think about Stormy? I mean, is this the Monica Lewinsky moment for, for Trump? No, no, um, um, for, for a whole lot of reasons. Uh, oh, look, first of all, let's, let's stipulate that uh, a married man having an affair with a porn star, not a good thing. Um, well, I, I would even say just take off the porn star part and you probably. Okay, uh, sure. Yeah. Right. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Just it's not a great. Well, it's not. She was a porn star. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, so so let's well let, let, and let's let's say the the addition of the porn star part uh, sort of worse. brings it, brings it the, the worst brings story. the presidency uh, into to some sort of again disrepute. Uh, these all these are things that happened before he was president, um, and purportedly uh, now during. 
Well, reportedly. Um, right, and that's what although meant. although that doesn't seem to really jive with the rest of the uh, the the, uh, the the payments and so forth and the the timeline. Right. Um, but you know, I, I first of all, it, it's there's no there's no allegation that was in any way non consensual. Um, these are are two uh, adults. Um, uh, and again, it, there's a there's a difference between uh, I said sort of the balance of power at that point. Trump was a rich businessman. Um, uh, Lewinsky, there was a you know the leader of the free world and a 23 year old intern. Um, but but to the the legal side of it, uh, I mean, is the, <laughs> Stormy Daniels' argument is that the agreement is invalid because uh, Trump didn't sign it. Um, and and I've I've got a sort of just just say this is something that me as a lawyer drives drives me nuts is this kind of uh, pretend legal analysis that that the media lets people get away with. It doesn't matter if he does, didn't sign it. Um, she was paid the money. Uh, she signed it. Uh, that's that's pretty much uh, to me end of end of story. Uh, I now there maybe there's an argument <clears throat> some somehow would this be unenforceable for some public policy reason. Uh, again, I, I'm not, I'm not seeing it. Um, well, now, I think the more nuanced legal argument for doing it this way is basically you're forcing Trump and his team to either have to come to court or not. I mean, it's basically a lose-lose. So you either, you know, attempt to make sure it's going to be enforced, in which case you have to, you know, <laughs> say, yeah, I'm paying her off. Or you have to do nothing, and then you know she's the only one who's a party to the suit, and it's over. No, the um, the the game plan there though is is look the other, the other way to get out of it is uh, they confidentially agree in in Trump or or a a Trump uh, you know organization or or a Trump LLC or someone else uh, pays for more money, and I think that's what this is about. Uh, she either wants to be paid more money because she now realizes that now that Donald Trump's president, she could make a whole lot more uh, on on media, book book deals, so forth, um, than one hundred thirty thousand uh, dollars by talking about this than the one hundred thirty thousand dollars she made for not talking about it. Um, so yeah, there there can be that sort of back and forth. You know, maybe they they settle for more. Um, but I, I just don't I don't think there's anything. Um... So you mean so now? Oftentimes, you know, we have slight disagreements. But you're you honestly don't think that if it is in fact the case, Trump paying Daniels off before the election doesn't harm him politically? No, I don't think so. I mean, look does it does it does it give you any does that give you any new information about Donald Trump? Uh, does that does that make you think? Whoa, wait a minute! I wouldn't have voted for this guy. Uh, these are these are things that you know Trump ran around with with you know porn stars uh, before he was president. People knew about this. Uh, people knew that uh, he was a serial cheater. Um, yeah, but they uh, were willing to a... overlook that and assume he was a man who had turned a new evangelical leaf effectively, and the guy who's paying off the porn star is not turned an evangelical leaf. I, I honestly think that this – I think that if people believe this, uh, which there, I mean, it appears that one ought, uh, given the information available currently, 
that this harms him with his base, and it definitively harms Republicans who have repeatedly made this kind of moral ground part of their grassroots appeal. No, I'm I'm not. Uh, I don't I don't think it uh, makes a dent with the base. I really don't. Um, again, I I think these things were all um, uh, these. This was all factored in. This was baked in when people voted for Trump. There was no, there were no illusions uh, that this this was not uh, the man that he was. Um, so, uh, you know, I yeah, I just I just don't see it. Um, uh, other, let's put it this way: all the other uh, non-Trump Republicans sort of knew this and felt this way, and that was one of the reasons they were, you know, in some cases never Trumpers or almost never Trumpers. Um, but, but I, yeah, I, I'm not seeing a, a significant. Um, but I mean, I mean, even as a precedent, I mean, it, you don't <laughs> say to yourself, okay, so the the president of the United States ups his payoff agreement to a porn star, and that has no implication on the electorate whatsoever. And with any other president, I'd say, yeah, absolutely. Um, but not with this one. <laughs> Again, it's, um, you know, I, I, I guess I, you know, we'll have to wait and, and, you know, see how it plays out polling wise. But I, uh, I, again, I think, I think the legal case probably comes to nothing. If you know what I mean, I think it's well. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, that's, and, that's and, not the interesting part of the story. And and uh, you know, there's no there's no uh, crime uh, in in um, in having someone sign a non disclosure agreement. Uh, so uh, again, to the extent that everyone knew this was the kind of person Trump was going in, uh, I don't think anyone's going to be surprised uh, or shocked. Um, I guess I'm, I'm. If anything, I'm surprised that you know he only paid 130,000 and um, uh, apparently didn't get uh, as, as ironclad a deal as, as he ought to have. Uh, so that's that's I guess to me it's it's you know more disappointed in him as a businessman because uh, you you would expect that he would sort of be able to uh, handle that. But no, I I uh, I think it's going to be one of these you know funny footnotes for history of. Uh, you know, again, oh, there, there goes that crazy Donald Trump, and you know another thing he did. Um, so I, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not. I guess I'm a little. I mean, I'm a little less sanguine about this in the sense that I, I, I think that even if your take that uh, the evangelical base will will the needle will not move at all if this would be become the the, the centerpiece of the story. I mean, maybe you're right. Uh, you know, you're right. We'll have to kind of see well, and, how that data. Would, I mean, I, and, and I don't want to characterize, but I mean, you would probably consider yourself an evangelical voter. Yeah. Yes, yes or no? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And, and, it, and it bothers you. Yes. Okay. Um, but I, I think I think you're I think you are you are maybe a a small subset of evangelical voters. I really think most. Well, it's true. Um, most of them are not libertarians, for example. So I will yeah. I will grant you that. But I mean, I, I, what, what I think, again, as a guy who has long caucused with the Republican Party, that it is, it is difficult for me to envision, just take away my, uh, my personal perspective on it, but kind of as an analyst on it, it is difficult for me to see the Republican Party not simply being hammered by this. Uh, and I, I, yeah. 
both mm. ideologically and pragmatically in the polls. Um, well, well, we'll wait and see. Again, I'm not I'm not seeing the campaign ad that that uh, spreads to a congressional race. You know what I mean? Well, I, I'm not seeing I'm not seeing the, you know, here, Congressman, whoever supported Donald Trump with with this because it's such a, a personal uh, uh, Trump kind of, you know, kind of action. It's not a it's not a policy thing where, where someone you can you can tie them to Trump that easily. Um, well, you know, the, the idea was and I actually thought this would happen uh, in the election of 2016, that so many Republican Senate candidates would be tied to Trump's personal behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, that that it would that it would hurt and we would lose the Senate. That was one of my big reasons for opposing uh, Donald Trump uh, back then, was I thought he was terrible for the party, but it it didn't seem to happen. Uh, and in in many cases, uh, you had Republicans in the Senate and the House who actually outperformed Donald Trump. And I, and I think that's again, I, I think there's a lot of things where where there's going to be a Trump drag. Uh, for some candidates, but I don't think Stormy Daniels is is one of those reasons. Well, I, I will say, you know, just as a, a scholar of elections, it's not surprising that Trump would have the drag is usually a lagged variable, meaning that we would expect it to to pick up post what happens, right? So it, it generally sure. does not occur at the same time. So you're, I mean, one or both of us will be uh, right or wrong as I think as we move forward. <laughs> well, but, but I, I would point out, I mean, the Stormy Daniels story has been out there for what, six months or so at least? Uh, Since it was reported that there was a, you know, the, I do not remember Trump lawyer. Who, uh, um, I mean, it's it's been a while. And again, the new... The new news is that, you know, there is some more concrete tie to the, the Trump organization. But again, I think, to my sense, everybody sort of factored that in. And um, at least I did. <laughs> of course, he paid her off. Who else would pay her off? So, um, well, I guess, I mean, that is a place that we, we you know, we probably disagree a little bit. Because um, uh, as I recall, I mean, you you kind of had the. You made peace with the Trump eventually. <laughs> well, I, I would I wouldn't say that. I mean, I've uh, but I've I've come to accept that, uh, you know, this is where we are. Um, this is uh, you know he he was elected. He is the president. Uh, and and uh, much as as I or anyone else can condemn his personal behavior, um, you know, I'm I'm you know I'm I'm answering the questions today. Just again, basically as you know, analyst looking at this as as you know, my experience in politics and, and what I see and what's where things go from here. And I, I just I don't see this as being uh, it, it's not going to it. I, I, let's put it this way. There were a lot of other things that I originally thought would have turned off the evangelical base about Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was wrong. Uh, they didn't turn off the evangelical <laughs> base. Um, uh, so. You know, I was I was as surprised as anyone, uh, you know, way back when in the Super Tuesday when he, you know, swept the South. Right. Um, and you know, I got that call wrong, and I want to say I've I've kind of learned my lesson. I, I don't think it's uh, it's it's going to change. Um, and uh, there's I think it's sort of a a uh, you know often you, you again he does not certainly embody a Christian lifestyle. 
but I think the evangelical base still sees him as preferable to alternatives. Uh, but they would have to what they had to alternatives. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things as we as we kind of talk about this would be interesting to maybe do is uh, on the website have the the factors we think will play or won't play as we go along and, and as we move along to the next presidential election. And then we could kind of who was right and who was wrong on which of the variables. <laughs> Yeah, no, being, be the, fun. being the uh, being the academic guy that I am, but uh, so I guess we leave we leave Stormy Daniels behind, um, and we leave theme music behind to talk about uh, another issue that came up on Wednesday that we have talked about on the show a couple of times already. But Wednesday uh, was a school, a, a pretty much countrywide school walkout. Uh, in response to the shooting here in Florida that I had talked about a number of weeks ago, it was a it was a difficult a difficult show for me, listeners. Just a heads up. Um, and man, has there been an outcry about the walkout itself, itself from the left and the right. Um, differing schools have taken different uh, views on how to respond to it, and so on the right, people are upset because schools let them do this, or they gave them 15 minutes off in some cases. Uh, on the left, people are upset because in some cases there was reprisals for leaving school during school. Um, and so in essence, though... Imagine that. Yeah, I know. It's a shock that we have all these different views. But what's fascinating to me is, is that we, oh, we seem to not be able to pull apart, or the news has not pulled apart, the two things. One is the question over are our walkouts and how they happen, are they good? Are they bad? Should we be applauding these students or not applauding these students and why, right? So the actual act of the protest. And the other, of course, is the underlying question that I know that we've already talked about a lot, which is the issue of the Second Amendment and gun control. But they're really two separate things. And I'll tell you, this week I have been frustrated um, by both the left and the right in confusing those two things, right? So for instance, I can say, Yay, I'm really happy that, you know, young people have decided to protest, but I can also say, you know what, I they're absolutely wrong in what they're protesting for. <laughs> you know, yeah, no, I, I agree. That's a yeah. possible that's a that's at least a possible response. And it would appear in most outlets that we aren't that's that's somehow not an option. So Jay, what do you think about this and, and kind of piece those two things apart here, you know, both the walkouts themselves and how schools ought not have to respond, which I think is the new bit of news for this week because of Wednesday, and then obviously maybe just a little bit about what we've already been talking about a lot, which is gun control. Well, you know, to me, the the uh, the issue that that confounds the right that that <laughs> just makes our blood boil is is there there are and and I will say, look, there and Trey, you're you're enough of a realist to to understand this in, in any sort of these political activism things. They're often portrayed as this is grassroots. These are the kids speaking their mind and so forth. Um, but that's not always the case. Uh, there are typically activists, typically on the far left, um, as was sort of the case here. And in a lot of this, in the kids, it was sort of grassroots just because I think it's difficult to organize high school kids. But um, oh, heavens, yes. To the extent that there's going to be a national march down the road and that some of this, this, this was done in touch with. Uh, leftist uh, anti-gun activists, which, all right, fair enough. Uh, that's that's um, you know that's their right uh, to to try to make their voice heard. Um, but what troubles a lot of conservatives, uh, and this is kind of funny. I'll tell you a personal story because this is sort of what what actually got my daughter really mad. Was don't pretend that this isn't political. 
Uh, and the schools, in many schools, sort of acted as if, oh, we're not engaging in some sort of uh, anti-gun protest. Uh, it's just a letting the kids speak their mind. Um, but, but no, this this is this is a, a, a very much a political message, and they were all filled it's with you know, it's political speech. Yeah. And, and to say that to say that it is not uh, picking one side uh, also, I think, is is just disingenuous. So, if you want to, you know, have a a, a walkout uh, for more gun control or something like that, then let's call it that. Then let's let's be honest. Um, and the other thing that that bothers me, and this is again a, a right left divide, which I, I don't know that will ever be bridged. There are those on the left where there's there's this. I shouldn't I shouldn't say just right or left because I, I can think of some 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 examples on the right. Um, but uh, there is this idea that the left loves protest for protest's sake, uh, and I get that because it is you know I don't know Trey you're you're probably even in some ways more conservative than I am uh, <laughs> on some look, issues I mean, if undoubtedly you ever, yeah. If you ever no if you ever been out there protesting marching. It's a it's a huge adrenaline rush, right? Oh yeah, for sure. You're out there, you're waving the sign, you're yelling stuff. People have bullhorns, and maybe the police are there. And it's it's uh, and especially if you're a young person, this is like wow. This you know it's it's exciting. You're in the midst of it. You're making change. Uh, chicks dig it. I mean, it's it's just. <laughs> Now, just just, and, just for warning, I've done this, and I never had uh, anyone was excited with me from the opposite sex <laughs> as a result well, of my protesting. Maybe just protesting the wrong things, but uh, um, uh, so well, <laughs> never mind. I was gonna uh, again kind of get in trouble since Mike isn't here, but um, I'll save that for the website. But but my point is, there is this. It's part of the ideology, and I know was a a political philosopher, and I want to say it was Schopenhauer, and I, I, I may get this wrong. Um, well, if you say the quote, I about, might know. So. Well, it's not even a quote, but it, it, was, it was talking about the 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 idea of, of revolution and, and exaltation was, was the word in politics, um, that, that you tap into this exaltation of the, you know, we're taken to the barricades, and uh, there is this, this power in that. Um, and I think the left really kind of gets off on that much more so than than the right does. Uh, just 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 kind of in their DNA. Um, well, it's it's part and, of their ideological also, position. You're right. Yeah, and this is also something that is, again, rebellion is always pretty easy to sell to kids. Um, <laughs> you know, even even if what you're selling is sort of the very much status quo. Um, uh, you know, here's school approved, uh, walkout uh, again, that's, that's an easy sell, uh, to teenagers. And, and I, I think that's, there's a little something that's, that's dishonorable in that, uh, in that, um, I don't know. I mean, how, how tough it, it, you know, look, originally a lot of the walkout plans, at least for our school was, uh, kids were just going to walk out and go home. Uh, or they'd go to Chipotle or, or something like that, or, you know, um, just, you know, go, go, uh, go home and play some Call of Duty. But, um, you know, I think, I think some schools stepped up and, and said, no, we're going to have alternative programs, either an in-school assembly uh, where we do that. My uh, alma mater of Boardman High School, I want to give a shout out to them uh, that I'm extremely proud of the way they handled it. What they did was they had a, an active shooter drill. Uh, with the uh, police present uh, to do a, a training exercise. Uh, they had a moment of silence for the victims. 
and then they had an appreciation, what they called a clap out, uh, where all the students came out and, and cheered for the police officers uh, who were there uh, doing the drills and who protect them every day. Uh, after that, they had at lunch, uh, kids could sign up to register to vote and could post, uh, they had a board where you could post your thoughts, comments, whatever. But again, this was all, you know, what they did was they took a, a small part of the day, did a, a drill that was necessary and good, showed appreciation for uh, law enforcement. They were still able to speak their minds, uh, register to vote, do all that. But it was not a situation where the school was stepping up and saying, we're picking sides on this on this debate. So I, I so shout out to the Boardman, uh, Boardman High Spartans on that. I don't know how many other schools did did that sort of thing. Um, you know, in, in contrast, uh, I know my my daughter's school did did something that was kind of a milk toasty kind of, um, you know, sort of a rally for action, whatever, whatever that may be. Um, uh, and and, you know, there was sort of a, a small walkout where, again, I think, sadly, a lot of community members sort of joined in saying, oh, isn't this great? And uh, again, to me, no, it's not great to just walk out of school. Um, and well, if, if you if we really want to make a sacrifice, then do it on your you do it on your off time. Well, I see what's interesting to me. And I, and I think that you were you were getting at it correctly. I mean, conservatives, I mean, they in, in heart are these kinds of Burkean creatures that are about preservation and evolutionary, slow evolutionary change, which doesn't lend itself to the idea of, or at least it won't place a high preference on the idea of uh, revolutionary action or, yeah. you know, protest in that sense. And what's always fascinating to me as an observer, so the, the left obviously does. I mean, and that, because that's, that's part of the idea of wanting change. You want that kind of grassroots change. And, and earlier you were talking about the difference between grassroots and astroturfing is what we call it. And yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but what's interesting to me is how, uh, and you were talking about this a little bit, is a more, I think a more effective left protest would have been, you know, as soon as school officials are becoming involved in the walkout, well, it's, it's, it, once you have programming, that's not a walkout anymore, <laughs> right? Once, the, once oh, the yeah. cops are showing up, once, I mean, that, that's not a walk, a walkout is when all the students, and, and, and as a matter of fact, I, I would be all for this, you know, walk out of class all together and, you know, leave your teachers in the dust, <laughs> you know, that is, uh, you know, that that's a protest. And so it's fascinating how, you know, we even uh, on the left where we want where we want to have this kind of pull towards activity like this, we always institutions want to co-op it. And that's fascinating to me. And I, and I think that, you know, we were saying, you know, what's the issue here is I think both the left and the right where they were in control or less in control of school boards, different sides co-opted it in different ways. And, and so it didn't end up being about the kids at all, if you ask me. It ended about who ended up winning at the local level, <laughs> you know, local school sure. board elections. And because then that became a different kind of institutional programming. And so then everybody just sniped about which kinds of institutional programming won out locally near them. <laughs> well, but but here's the thing. Um you're right. If you're going to have a, a real protest, you're going to then really walk out. But again, to me, it's, that's sort of a 
um, kids saying I'm going to I'm going to uh, skip school and because I now have some some really good cause or and I got to tell you, I should maybe I, don't know, I shouldn't post this, but the, the video. There was an earlier walkout, you know, it's a couple of weeks ago at my daughter's school and you posted of it. And and it's hilarious uh, in that it's it's a couple of kids who are just sort of going on mouthing these slogans that they've sort of heard places and about how they're not going to take it. And they demand action. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's all this. Very, it's all very vague. And there's a bunch of other kids who are just kind of standing behind them, like kind of talking on their phone and like, hey, check me out. I'm on TV. And there's some others who you can just see sort of like throwing on their backpacks and, and just leaving, just kind of again, heading, heading off to to, uh, to grab a burrito or something. So um, it's that. And that, but that, that's a more, I mean, you know, you describe kind of a more genuine non-institutionalized protest in that sense. I mean, right, right. Yeah. Because um, not everybody's going to be on board. They're not only going to be organized and that that's the nature, that's the nature of the beast. But, but to me, again, what does that, what does that get you? I, I don't think anyone looks at the, um, you know, for, for me to say, you know, it's it sort of, um, to do to do something in protest that uh, you want to do anyway, uh, i.e., take off school, um, again doesn't strike me as being ter- terribly heroic. Uh, you know, if you're you know Mandela and Gandhi uh, went on hunger strikes, and, and not that I'm recommending hunger strikes for high school students, um, uh, but but you know they were doing something you know difficult to to prove a point, or uh, uh, you know you were marching and the civil rights uh, uh, protesters you know rode buses in violation of the law, knowing they would be arrested. Uh, they they marched into polling places you know against uh, dogs and, and hoses and all these sort of things. Um, and again, saying like I'm gonna I'm gonna skip school this afternoon. That's that is that is less heroic. Uh, and again, goes to sort of the aping of of. We could have a whole discussion sometime on good protest versus bad protest, and but it, it's kind of like uh, you look. I'm I'm really mad about uh, I don't know um, the tariffs, so I'm gonna I'm gonna sit at home and you know eat wings and watch basketball this weekend. You know? <laughs> I mean, stick it to the man. I mean, it's but well, that, I mean, it's interesting, but I I, I do agree that it's going to be. This will not be. I think this is something we can all agree. This is not going to be something that influences elections, exactly or anything. I mean, as a matter of fact, you know, two weeks from now, it will be unlikely that most people can even comment on this story anymore. Which, which again, I don't mean that in a negative sense. That holds true for the majority of uh, events and, and stories. I mean, just ask yourself, you know, what was the biggest story, you know, three months ago, two months ago, one month ago from today. Yeah. And uh, that, that is generally for the average person going to be a, a difficult remember if you're lucky. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm going to throw in one more thing that I'll get in trouble for. Um, but we had, Mike and I had sort of a similar conversation um, a year or so ago over the, the women's march in Washington, uh, to which I said, what's the point? Uh, what is it that you're trying to get? What's, what is it that you're after? Um, and no one could really answer that question. Um, and it was all just, we got a lot of comments, a lot of people angry at me about how I just didn't get it. And no, in fact, I do get it. I do get the exultation, the fun, the, Hey, the chanting, the bullhorns, like I said, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, what has actually changed, uh, uh politically and that would be absolutely nothing. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, uh, well, we, that's probably too long of an aside. I, I have a slightly different take, but we can. We can pause there on protests and move on because we're kind of running out of time to what we've been reading this week. Uh, and so if you don't mind, you, I'll get us started off. I, sure. uh, 
I, have you ever read any of Ron Chernow's work? I have. Yes. <sighs> He's I, I, a brilliant author who uh, I have followed him starting with Washington. He's also done Hamilton. And then most recently, uh, he has dropped a book on uh, Grant, which is good. Uh, and so listeners, if you haven't ever read uh, Chernell's work, I highly, highly recommend it. But ironically, I'm going to recommend you do it in reverse order. Do his newest stuff first and go back. Um, Grant is a really good book, uh, but it's... It, I, it's not quite as amazing as either Washington or um, Hamilton. And I don't mean that because of the figures, just the, the way it's written. So if you read Grant first, you'll love him. And then you'll just keep loving him more as you go backwards. <laughs> um, but it has been really fascinating. It's a, it's an era I, I have I don't didn't know enough about Grant. I mean, I really should have known more. And it's been fascinating to kind of get a feel uh, for his life, especially pre the civil war, which I did not know much about. So this week I have been, I'm not quite finished, but I've been reading, um, Grant by Ron Chernow. Okay. Um, you know, I'll tell you, I don't have anything specific that I can point to this week, but I did want to just sort of mark some, some general things that people could take a look at. And this week, you know, when, when we try to think of like the bigger picture, a lot of times, um, uh, I just wanted to note the, the passing of Stephen Hawking, uh, the uh, physicist who uh, suffered from ALS, um, probably the most famous scientist. Uh, he probably was the most famous living scientist um, uh, of, of our time. Um, and and go back and take a look at at some of the work that he did uh, in terms of trying to make some of these these incredibly esoteric uh, uh, research pieces uh, he was looking at about black holes, the Big Bang. I mean, it's really again blow your mind kind of stuff and make it understandable. Uh, and that he did this uh, despite an incredible handicap that that would have destroyed, I imagine, like any other human being. Um, is really incredible. So, I mean, I can remember I read a Brief History of Time uh, back when it came out in the 90s, 80s, 90s, uh, and then also the follow-up after that. And and actually, since then, a lot of there's been a lot of new research uh, that has um, sort of I don't want to say disproved, but but uh, put in other, put other glosses on uh, the stuff he wrote earlier. Uh, but I would just I recommend somebody to just go take a look at, at the stuff Stephen Hawking has done uh, because. If I had, if I had been smarter, I would have been like a you know a real scientist like that, but I, I wasn't. And um, I, again, it's 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 again puts puts things really into perspective uh, of our place uh, when we when we get upset about uh, politics, about what our place in the universe really is. <laughs> so, well, that's fascinating. Yeah, lots of things that are interesting about uh, Hawking and you know. As a social scientist, I agree. Science is a is a fascinating endeavor. Whether you're looking out at the universe or you're you're looking at the your own ant hill that is humanity. Um, well, listeners, uh, I hope that you have enjoyed this week's show. Jay, I've enjoyed doing it with you. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a while since it's been been you and me. Uh, listeners, if you would like, you can always uh, get in hold of us on social media. Uh, on Twitter, it is at politics guys, or you can hook up with us on Facebook at 
the politics guys. Uh, likewise, you can head to our website, politicsguys.com, for all the most recent podcasts, up-to-date things, also for Mike's blog. Likewise, if you would like and we would love for you to support the show, we have both PayPal and Patreon links on the website, uh, both mobile and non-mobile versions now, where you can make reoccurring payments that allow us to do the show each and every week twice a week. Uh, likewise, we would like you to know that this show is run by Michael Baranowski, Jay Carson, and myself, Trey Orndorff, and this week's episode is produced by Trey Orndorff. Uh, we hope that you'll join us next week.